What's up, everybody? How y'all doing? Everybody having a good uh, good day, huh? It's an awesome uh, Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday, right? Excellent. Well done. Hey, did you know we have like two Chi Alphas left? Yeah, it's almost over. School year's almost done. And and then uh, and then we'll be like super sad, and we'll miss you for a couple weeks maybe, because then we'll have summer Chi Alpha, and it'll be great. Yeah, so it's not that bad, right? But you won't have classes ideally, unless you're like a nerd and you're like, I want to accomplish things, and you take summer classes. But who does that, right? <laughs> People that don't spend ten years in college do that. That's what that is. Um, but hey, so. Um, before we, we dive into what we're going to talk about, uh, first, I have one correction. The uh, Camp Blessing isn't the camp. Uh, it's their old camp name. The, the camp name is Beloved and Beyond, Camp Beloved and Beyond, and uh, that's a special needs camp, and they're in desperate need of volunteers. Basically, you'd sign up for just like two weeks, and uh, the camp is in San Antonio, so it's not very far. So it's just like a couple weeks of commitment, and they need guy leaders really badly. So if any of you dudes want to learn how to actually love someone that can't do anything for you in return, then this is a great opportunity. So yeah, be thou encouraged. Um, but yeah, just find me afterwards, and I can put you in contact with whoever you need to. But um, yeah, so uh, when I was praying about what to share with y'all tonight, the Lord gave me this kind of image, and uh, it... It's not going to surprise you to know that it deals with my family, right? So, um, so this semester we've gone through a progression, right? We've, we've said there is a God, right? Everyone has a God is what we've said. Everyone has a God. There's something that you worship, and we talked about that, right? There's something that you build your life around. And the only question is, is that thing worth your life? Does that make sense, right? Like, is that thing worth your life? Does that, do you live a life that's sustainable when it's tested against reality, right? You know what I mean? Like, if I had the fantasy and built my life around the idea that I was Superman, that would be tested against reality the minute I jumped off a building. You know what I mean? Y'all tracking, right? And, and then we said, hey, this Jesus guy is the only thing that we think is worthy to build your life around, right? And then we, we began to walk through, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus, and what does that look like? And, and we, we talked through those things. Remember Pam's amazing message on, on what a real relationship with Jesus is, right? And then we talked about, like, loving God and really loving him for who he is and not what he does for us, right? And then last week, Richard brought the thunder. I mean, that was amazing. He talked about God, God doesn't call the qualified, right? He qualifies the called, Right? And if you didn't walk away with that last week, I, I don't think you were paying attention, right? Because it was pretty like, whoa, wow, yeah, cool, all right. So um, so we're going to take the next step with that. But before we, we jump in, I, one of the processes of, of parenting that I didn't really consider was this whole, like, you have to raise them to be a normal human being thing, right? Like, with, as, as a new father, I remember just thinking, like, don't grow up to be a mass murderer, you know, like, basically, like, thought number one is, I hope it doesn't come out looking like a reptile, right, that was thought number one, right, you don't, nobody wants to give birth to, like, Godzilla, you know what I mean, like, ugh, I love it, I guess, you know, 
and, and then also, like, also, it's like, I don't want to raise the next, like, Ted Bundy. You know what I mean? Like, don't want to, don't want to do that, right? So, so we're just like, be cool, right? But, but part of, like, be cool, there's all these little steps that you just never really consider, right? So currently, the battle in my household with our two youngest boys is getting dressed for the day, right? If they're not leaving the house, they're staying in their pajamas, right? It doesn't matter. So, like, some days I'll, I'll just be like, George, put daytime clothes on. He goes, why? Where are we going? Like, okay, that's a valid argument. Like, I get that, right? But also, it's a Tuesday, just get dressed. You know what I mean? So that's like one of those things you don't consider is like part of that becoming a normal human and not like a detriment to society is, is like le- teaching them how to get dressed, you know? And then there's all kind of like social decorum kind of things. Like, like, um, like when Donald was little and we lived in Huntsville, Texas, there was this uh, Salvadoran food place that was amazing. They had like $2 pupusas on, on Tuesdays and, and it was amazing, right? But like they had really good queso, right? And so Donald loves queso. And so he's like two or three years old at the time and he just sticks a straw straight in the queso cup, like dispenses with the chip facade, you know, like let's not even play games here. We all know what we want. Like so the kid's straight up drinking a cup of cheese, right? He's going to like, he's going to hit 18 and he's going to be like, you, your cholesterol is like 4,000. Like, I don't know how. You know what I mean? It's because your parents were negligent. I was just like, oh, look at that. I took a picture on my phone. Didn't stop them, right? But like that's one of those things that like you can't, you have to like, hey, Donald, you can't do that in public, right? Like at home, maybe. It's really gross, but maybe, you know? Like get one of those smoothie straws that are thicker so you get more queso to your, you know, into your face hole, you know? And, and so like, like, that's one of those things where, like, you have to, that's part of normal human being. Could you imagine, ladies, if you were on a date with a guy, and he just busted out a straw and jammed it in the queso? I was like, <laughs> so go ahead, tell me, um, what, what do you do? What, so you need to get movies lately? <laughs> you know? Sucking down queso, right? That's, like, you would immediately think, this guy's a serial killer, right? <laughs> it's, you text your friend, call me, saying that you're dying, right? You're, you got in a car wreck. Just call me right now, please. I need help. Right? So I have to teach my son, you can't, you can't drink queso straight out of a cup. Like, as much as we all know that we would, you can't do that. That's part of being a normal human, right? And, and then, like, finally, one of the things that we really had to fight with another one of our boys, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him because this is on the Internet, but when we lived in the Czech Republic... He straight up refused to wear clothes for like a whole year. He came over to our house, it'd be like the kids in like all naked, just 100, not a stitch of clothing, right? The mailman would come to our door and he'd just be like, pop the door open, standing there like, hey, mailman, just like out there, like in flagrante, you know, like he just didn't care, right? And winter comes around, you know, that's fine in spring and summer because they're super temperate, it's really nice weather. But winter comes around, and we're trying to explain to this kid, part of being a normal human being is, you know, not just being naked all the time, but also, like, you, you got to, like, gear up for winter, you know? And he just refused. He refused to wear, wear any clothes, right? And so, first snowfall, and there's, like, a foot of snow on the ground. It's really pretty. You know, it wasn't like our snow vid where, like, everyone was like, ah! 
ah, you know, it, they're actually prepared for that weather there, you know, so it was fine. And, and so we had power and water and it was awesome. And, uh, and the kids want to go outside and, and he's like, I want to go outside. I'm like, no, no, like you can't. He's like, why not? So this is what he does. He gets mittens, hat, jacket, snow boots, no pants. <laughs> nope, just full moon shining, you know what I mean? And then he goes outside, like, my wife and I, like, discuss it, like, what do we do? What, how do you, how do we fix this? Like, how do you get him to be normal, right? Like, what, what do you do here? And, and uh, so what I did is I settled with my go-to parenting method of reality will teach them, you know? It's not a great parenting method when they're playing with knives, but in this case, it was really effective. Um, so it's like, just, he'll learn, right? So we let him go outside, Right, he goes outside and he plays for about five minutes, and then he falls butt first into the snow. After about five minutes, that kid was in the house in like thirty seconds. I mean, like there was a cartoon cloud of smoke in his shape. It was like, you know what I mean? Like inside, and then after that, it was like, no, I gotta have my snow pants on, my real pants, sweatpants, all the pants I own. I want my pants on all the time after that, right? So like that's part of like this parenting thing that you don't really think about. Is there's these little things in between not being Ted Bundy, you know, and, and being a normal human that you have to teach them that you just don't think about, you know? In the same way, there's little things in between salvation and heaven that we just don't think about, that we have to learn, right? The Bible's way of talking about these things is calling. Richard talked about the called, right, being qualified by God. And in our minds, and if you come from certain theological backgrounds, that word called is super backloaded, right? And, and it means really big and scary things, right? But what the Bible means when it says called does not mean like God, you know, knew that you were going to sign up for that job at Smoothie King on December 18th, 2019 at 7.03 a.m. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what that means, you see what I'm saying? The call that we're talking about is what God had hoped for you at the beginning. Okay? It's like what he wanted for you way at the beginning. What he wanted for humanity way at the beginning. Okay? So to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about, flip open to the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at chapter 11 or I guess more appropriately turn your Bible on. Um, because that's a thing we say now in the... 21st century. So weird. All right. So Acts 11, verses 23 through 26. When he arrived, and he is Barnabas. I'm dropping you in the middle of the story of zero context. Have fun, right? When he, Barnabas, arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you help us? Lord, will you speak to us tonight? And help us understand more about you and your kingdom. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We want you to speak to us. 
And we invite you to sit on the throne of our hearts and convict us of what we need to be convicted of. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so what we have is I just dropped you in the middle of the story, right? And in the book of Acts is like the, the continuation of the story of Jesus, right? It's the second part of a series that Luke wrote, right? So Luke wrote his gospel, and then this is the follow-up. And you can see that by reading just the first couple of verses of each book. You see that he wrote it to a guy named Theophilus, um, which we think is a guy, but Theophilus means lover of God, so it could have been written to a congregation. That's details no one cares about, sorry. Um, my wife told me the other day, I'm like the guy from Ant-Man, you know, Luis, and he's like, wrong details, dude, wrong details, and so sorry about that. Yeah, you just put in a dime, you got to go for the ride, right? So, um, so here in this story, right, we have the Lord started to move up in Antioch, which is way far north of Jerusalem, right? And this is like the first non-Jewish center of Christianity. This is the first time that we begin to see uh, Christianity move amongst the Gentiles, right? This is a super Hellenized city. It's not even near the traditional homeland of Israel, right? And so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas up there to, to check things out, things out and make sure like everything was kosher. No pun intended, right? And, um, and so he went up there and he found everything was great. He saw how the Lord was moving and, and he saw how the Lord was being represented. And he saw how they were witnessing to one another, right? And then that last line I love, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, Right? So if we look at what they're doing here in, the, in, in Acts, in this chapter in Acts, there's three main roles that the church is fulfilling. And those three roles are priest, king, and prophet. Priest, king, and prophet. And in fact, those are the roles that God has called you to. When Richard was talking about you being called by God, to a work. These are the works he's called you to. And I'll prove it to you because we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden and we're going to see where each of these things is established, okay? So first we're going to talk about being a priest, right? In Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. So that word, that phrase, work it and care for it, in Hebrew is priestly language that is used to describe the work of the Levites in the temple of God. It's priestly language. In fact, the word for work, specifically avad, can also mean worship, right? So when you're like flipping burgers at McDonald's, that can also be worship. That's pretty cool, right? And so Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it, to be priests. That was their job. So Eden was this heavenly temple. We've talked about this before. It was like this heavenly temple place on earth. And the two priests in that temple were Adam and Eve. So one of the first jobs, one of the first descriptive like calls of God on somebody's life was to be a priest. And so the role of a priest, right, is to represent God to man and represent man to God. The role of a priest is to represent God to man and to represent man to God. And if you read through the, you know, chapter 3 
In Genesis, you'll see, I mean, it, it fails. Like, they screw it up, right? They don't do this, right? So, Adam and Eve failed in this role in that they didn't represent God to man. Where Adam failed here, he, Eve didn't know the commands of God. If you look when Eve is being tempted by the serpent, and she's like quoting back to him why she shouldn't eat the fruit, she quotes it back wrong. Right? So Adam failed to represent God's commands to her. She didn't learn them right. And then if you look at how they represented God to the people around them, their family, I mean like their first two kids murder each other. Not a great start. Right? So I mean like I can at least say so far I'm doing better than Adam and Eve's parents. Right? You know? I'll take that. And then, so they fail to represent God to man, to their fellow man, right? Their spouses and their children. But then they fail to represent man to God. After the fall, right? When, when God is, is looking for them, well, he's not really looking for them. He's helping them find themselves, you know? And he's like, where, where are you? What are y'all doing? They're hiding amongst the trees. They don't want to represent man to God. Do you see that? So they failed in their roles as priests. Next thing we can talk about is king, the role of king. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So did you know that you were intended to be a king or queen? Like you were intended to be royalty? That's pretty cool, right? God always had it in his mind for humanity to be royalty. So Adam and Eve's job, and therefore through them our job, is to be God's representative authority on the earth and to spread Eden across a wild and chaotic world. In the Garden of Eden, we see there's this river, and it goes in four directions, right? And that's the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west. And that's supposed to be, like, representative of this Eden thing is supposed to cover the whole earth, right? So as Eden expands, so does the rule and reign of Adam and Eve. Isn't that cool? In the text, in verse 26, it says that they're supposed to rule over all of the animals and all of the creatures and all of the plants. But what we see just a chapter or so later is that they allow the serpent to rule over them. And the irony here is that the serpent was a beast of the field. He's a creature. He's what they were supposed to be ruling over, but they allow him to rule them. Do you see that? So they abdicated their position and became subservient to the very creation they were created to rule. Paul describes it like this in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that through you, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and has 
and have become slaves to righteousness. What Paul is saying is that, they, that man abdicated the throne. Man stepped down from the rulership position that God had created him for. And like the philosopher says, power abhors a vacuum. And so creatures or ideas or thoughts or cultures now sit on the throne that they were never meant to sit upon. They're not created for it and they're not fit for it. And those thrones that they sit on are, can be the thrones of our hearts, the thrones of nations, the thrones of cultures. There's these guiding ideas that just direct cultures and nations and people, right? But we were supposed to rule over those. The third one, prophet. Remember, priest, king, prophet. Prophet. So, in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the word helper here, right, like this is talking about, let's get context first, Scroggins, come on. This is talking about when God created Eden and then Adam was by himself and he like looks at all the animals and he's like, hey, no one, no one really is like me. Who's, who's my buddy, right? Who's my pal? And God's like, it's not good for man to be alone. That's the first time that God says anything is not good in the whole Bible. Right? He's like, hey, it's not good for, God to be, for man to be alone. So then he makes Eve. Right? So the English translators of the Bible translated this word as helper. And it can mean that, but it's much more intense. It's much more intense. In fact, this word is used 21 times in the Bible. Right? And the most common translation of this word is rescuer. And it means rescue at an intense level, like typically life or death. And of the 21 times it's used in the Bible, 19 of those are about God's relationship to Israel or his people, where he's rescuing them from danger, harm, or enemies. So how much of a help was Eve to Adam? Apparently a great help. She rescued him. So God saw that Adam was in a state of not good, and Eve came and rescued him. And if you think about it, that's what a prophet does. As a prophet, in the Old Testament, you look, you look at what a prophet does, right? And he sees the nation going a direction, or the people going in a direction that God would say is not good. And then he speaks, and he rescues them from the danger that they were walking into. Does that make sense? Y'all, everybody still with me? So God intended us to stand up for his rights and his kingdom in the lives of the brothers and sisters around us. Prophet. But Adam and Eve failed at this too. They failed at the foot of the tree. See, Eve had rescued Adam, but when Eve was in a not good state of being tempted by the serpent, Adam didn't rescue her. If you look at the Hebrew in that portion of Scripture, when the snake is saying you, he's saying y'all. It's plural, second person plural. So Adam was right there, and he did nothing. 
So we are, we are actually meant to be like a prophet more in the mold of Nathan, right? The prophet Nathan was a guy that stood up to King David when he had like slept with a guy's wife and had him killed to hide it and cover it up. Right? He does this whole story. It's an amazing part of scripture. The dude walks straight into the throne room, gets in David, the king's face, and calls him out on like the most horrible thing that he probably did in his He saw him in a state of not good. And he stood up for God's rights and God's kingdom. Does that make sense? And that is exactly what Jesus came and did. Jesus modeled this perfectly. Jesus was the perfect priest. I mean, the book of Hebrews writes about this a lot, about Jesus being the better high priest. In Colossians 2.9, it says that Christ was the fullness of God dwelt in flesh. He represents God to man. Do you see that? In John 10, he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus is the perfect and full image of God. No longer do we have to be concerned, what was God like? What is God like? We don't, we, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We know. What is God like? He's like Jesus, because he and the Father are one. So he represents God to man, but he also represents man to God. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Right? Isn't that amazing? Anybody else geeking out? Okay. Guess not. Everybody's tired. It's fine. And then as a king, Jesus is the king of the earth. He demonstrates it in Matthew chapter 8 when he silences the wind and the waves. Y'all remember that story? There's like a massive storm and like even the experienced fishermen are like, we're all going to die, you know? And Jesus is like taking a nap on the couch, you know? Can you, I, I get really motion sick. Like I can't handle, I, I don't know how you would sleep. I, I don't get it. But then Jesus, they're like, Jesus, don't you even care that we're going to die? He's like, do I? <laughs> what's wrong with you guys? Don't you know to just do this? And he gets out there and then like the, the words that he says in, in the Greek, in, in that part of Matthew, you know, like it's like in English, it's dignified. It's be still, you know, but it's probably more something like shut your yapper, right? It's, he literally says be muzzled like a dog, you know, but he gets up there and he's just like, shut up. And then like the wind and waves like, oh shoot, it's you. Oh, I didn't realize you were on the boat. My bad. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You know? He's like, and then the disciples freaking out. What kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Yeah. I don't know how many times you've hung out with people and they've just been like, hey, rain, knock it off. And it stopped. I personally never. Um, and if you know a guy that does that, I'd like to meet him. Or maybe not. Who knows? Be like, Thor? Anyway, and Jesus even affirms his royalty when he gives us the great commission. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then we see the Son of Man ascend on the clouds of heaven and be seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is the perfect king. 
He's the king of the earth. And then he comes, and he also is the perfect prophet. Mark 1, the first words that Jesus speaks in Mark. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You are in a state that is not good. Come, repent, and be in a state that is good. And he came to rescue us. Over and over and over, he tells the people he encounters and interacts with, he says, go and sin no more. He says it to the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. And he says it to the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, he says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. He gave himself as a ransom for all people. As a statement, as our priest, king, and prophet. And we see the church in Antioch fulfilling these very roles. They were representing to the community around them. They were representing God to the community around them. They were being a priest representing God to man. And then they were interceding and praying for the people around them. They were, they were representing man to God in their prayer closets. They weren't being ruled by anything but Jesus. They were the proper kings of the earth. And they were speaking truth to the people around them. So much so that Barnabas, a Levite, couldn't find any fault among them. And he hung out with them for a year. They were so awesome. They were doing all these things right. They, they were becoming normal. Just like I have to train my children to become normal human beings. Being called to these roles and fulfilling them correctly is how you become a normal human being. You're called to be a priest, a king, and a prophet. God has called you to be these things to the people around you, and he will qualify you to do them. Now you're like, Scroggins, that sounds really weird. Priest, king, prophet. Like, I'm not going to walk up to somebody and like, hey, uh, friend, I see that your shirt is red like the blood of Christ. May I fulfill the role of prophet to you and tell you about the not good state that you're in and how you can be welcomed into the Edenic, Edenic garden temple of the life of Jesus Christ. Right? Nobody wants to do that. But So let's translate this into terms that maybe we can use. So if it helps you, a priest, a priest is a soul winner. A priest is a soul winner. You represent God to man. And what that means is that we are the body of Christ. So in order to be qualified better in this position, you must ask yourself, how much do you live like Jesus? Are your thoughts, actions, and habits salted with heaven? Can you really call yourself a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand? Do you bring light to the world around you? One of my lowest points, I remember I was such a dummy, right? 
So one of my, one of my problems, among many, is, I, man, I love getting a rise out of people. I just, I don't know, I just love picking on people and making them frustrated because I'm a horrible person. And there's a lot of psychological help that needs to happen, right? And there's just something, without Jesus, I would be such a, just, dummy. And in my day, early days, before I was really walking with God, I remember sitting outside of my dorm room, and there was a group of us just talking, you know, and I'm like trying to witness to these guys, and they sit behind the dorm and, and smoke, you know, and they'll, they'll talk to you while they're doing that. So I stand out there and talking, and um, one guy brings up drunk driving. And I was like, man, thinking I was being real cool. I said, you know what, I feel like if you get behind the wheel when you're drunk, whatever happens, you have it coming. Really stupid. Really stupid. You can be disappointed in me. That's fine. I'm disappointed in myself. I remember one of the guys goes, real Christian. He this real expletive Christian. He was right. Because Jesus asks us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those that mourn. I did not represent Jesus well in that moment. One of my favorite poets, his name is Steve Turner. He wrote this poem, and I've never forgotten it since the first time I heard it. But he says this, I went to see where Jesus once touched the earth, but the Catholics had got there before me and obscured his footprints with arches buttresses, gold, and incense. I went to see where Jesus once touched the earth. I couldn't see for concrete and collection boxes, for postcards and guidebooks. So I looked further down. I looked to the ground. But the ground was 30 feet higher than back in AD 3. This is not where Jesus walked. I looked down, down to my feet, my legs, arms, chest. I look down to where Jesus touches the earth. It is for us to represent God to man. And then it is also for us to represent man to God. Another way of saying that is to intercede, to pray for other people. So when you pray that average of three minutes of prayer that the average Christian spends. Who do you pray for most in your closet? When you're in that time with the Lord, who do you pray for the most? Yourself? Others? Do you ever actively pray for those that hurt you or wronged you? Jesus says we should. In Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you think about what we just talked about, these are two essential components of soul winning. In order to win somebody to Jesus, you have to show them the love of God through your life, and you have to pray that God would move in their hearts. So a priest is a soul winner. To be a king is to be sanctified. 
To be a king is to be sanctified. So the kings and queens of Eden were meant to bring order to chaos. They were meant to bring the things of this world under their rule and have them in their proper place. This is what sanctification or holiness is. It's bringing order to the chaotic sin in your life. It means that you are no longer ruled by the things of this earth. How many of us have become slaves to something that makes our lives wild and waste and chaos? It's 420. How many people do you know are enslaved to a plant? The desires that we were meant to master and be kings of have now mastered us. Desires like sexual sin, drug and alcohol addiction, gluttony. To be a king is to be sanctified. To put everything in its proper place. To tell it like my grandpa would say it. To be a king is to keep the fire in the fireplace and off the carpet. Y'all still with me? This is essential for the witness of the gospel. Why would anyone want to follow a Jesus that has made no difference in your life? We must be sanctified, set apart, and holy. We must be the rulers of Eden and not the slaves of a serpent. The last and the worship team can come up. If it helps, a prophet is a discipler. A prophet is a discipler. See, a discipler speaks truth into the lives of people around them. We like to say discipleship starts before salvation and continues into heaven. What a discipler does is they intervene in the lives of people and save them from the not good state that they may find them in. That means standing up for God's rights in their lives. How many times do we watch our brothers or sisters struggle with sin and not help them? Even the little sins of like gossip or anger or bitterness, things that we wouldn't consider big, but are big in God's eyes. Do we seek to rescue our friends from the dreadful consequences of disobedience to God? Are we willing to march into throne rooms, get in people's faces, and tell them the truth? Are we willing to risk the destruction of friendships for the hope of reconciliation? Do we help them see the pain that they caused Jesus by the way that they live? Or do we sit at the foot of the tree and watch them eat? Lord, help us. You're called. Every one of you is called to be a soul winner, to be sanctified, and to be a disciple. so much about, God, what am I called to be? Who 
who am I called to be? It's this, a priest, king, a prophet. That's what you're called to be. We say it a lot. We say it a lot. I know that you can finish it for me. But missionary is who you are, not what you do. So no matter what the title of your vocation may be, whether it's a pastor or a missionary or a teacher or a data analyst at some cubicle company that's horrible that God bless you if you go to that. I love you. You're called to be a priest and a king and a prophet. You're called to be a soul winner. You're called to be sanctified. You're called to disciple. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, you are called to be those things. And the choice before us is to follow in the footsteps of the first Adam and fail at all of them to follow in the steps of the last Adam, Jesus, and succeed. And then people will look at your life and just be like, what kind of person is this? They don't bow to the wind and waves of emotion or culture. They just find a way to forgive and love and bless the people around them. like to be truly saved? What does it look like to be redeemed? It looks like someone that is a soul winner, that is sanctified, that's a disciple, that's a priest, 